Thank you. He said, sure, you read something like that that causes you to cry, and then you make me come up here? That was good. If I had to limit myself to one thing God is showing me, one major thing that God is doing in my life where he's showing me, it would be to relax into change. Now, I used to love change. When I was younger, Brent and I would um, buy houses. We would find houses that had potential, and we would buy them, and we would remodel them, and then sell them, and we'd move to another one. And, And when I say we would remodel them, we would see a house we liked, and I would pick out the colors, and then Brent would do all the work. And so... It was, I always wanted change, so we would just about have the house finished. And I'd go out for a run in the neighborhood, or I'd go running errands, and I'd come back and go, Brent, I found another house. It's awesome. It needs a lot of work, but it's awesome. And Brent would look at me like, oh my gosh, I've barely gotten this one finished. So I realized I love change if it's my idea. If it's not... Sometimes that's a different story. Change isn't just a part of life. Change is life. From the moment of conception, we are growing and changing. As children, we grow and change and turn into adults. And then we age and we change. We find that while our response time slows as we get older, the wisdom part of our brain continues growing and changing and developing throughout our lives. It's been said if companies were smart, they would have CEOs that were 90 because our wisdom continues to increase as we change. Everything around us is constantly changing. Seasons, our life stages, and those new buildings that keep coming up on the corners of all of our neighborhoods you know it's either going to be a Walgreens, a CVS, or a bank. That's pretty much what we're building in Tulsa. We lose our favorite restaurant. We're still mourning Tin Star. But somehow we find another favorite. In our personal lives, our companies get sold or merged. Our parents go into nursing homes or we have a new baby. Or our kids become teenagers. Our friends move away or get busy with other friends. We add new hobbies, and then we don't have time for the old ones. And of course, in Tulsa, you never know which road to take because there's road construction on all of them. And that place that there used to be a turn lane then wasn't a turn lane is now a turn lane again today. But it doesn't matter because you're in the wrong lane anyway. (laughs) We can fight change. We can whine, and we can stomp and say... That's not how it should be. I want things to stay the way that I had them. We can look at how things will never be the same and find ourselves irritated over that. Or we can choose to look at life as it is, an ever-evolving adventure that God has put us on. So today we're going to talk about change. We're going to talk about accepting change relaxing into change, and maybe even celebrating change. We're going to talk about trusting God in the midst of all of the transitions of our lives, the good, the bad, and the beautiful. I think it's appropriate on Mother's Day because I think mothers deal more personally with change than anyone else. We're the ones that switch the closet from one season to another when the kids outgrow clothes. 
We're the ones that are constantly monitoring, do your shoes still fit, or do we need to go get you some more? We're the ones that are trying to, decide, to, trying to discern what each of our children need from us. When my kids were little, I would pray every single day, and I would say, Lord, show me what this child needs from me today. And I would go through the list. Lord, show me what Preston needs for me today. Show me what Caitlin needs, what Spencer needs, what Haley needs. Because I knew that kids needed different things on different days. And some days, that kid needed a lot more hugs and understanding. And then some days, that teenager needed me to go buy that pair of pants that I thought was way too expensive. Because the Lord reminded me that sometimes a pair of pants is more than a pair of pants. And it was speaking something else in their lives. And then sometimes the Lord would tell me to back off and leave them alone and let them grow up and become independent. Mothers also absorb the trauma of change. When we have things that are going on in our lives, transitions, mothers are the ones that kind of cushion the way. When people start getting crankier, as we say at our house, crispy, when they start getting crispy with one another, mothers are the ones that say, don't worry what your brother said. It's okay. You're going to be okay. No, don't you worry about it. I will talk to your sister. I will take care of that. Mothers are the ones that say, go on and go to school. I can find the hamster. <laughs> or I will email your teacher. Or I will make sure your uniform is clean for the game tonight. Mothers also experience the most personal change. We find out we're pregnant and nothing seems different except we have to eat all the time so that we don't throw up. But then our bodies begin to grow and change and adjust to this new life. From then on, our life is working around schedules. Eating schedules, sleeping schedules, school, soccer, music lessons, sleepovers, a thousand practices for something, then graduation parties and weddings, and then births as the new generation goes on. All of the changes involve mom, either helping with the process or mom letting go. Why is change so difficult for all of us? Why do we respond to change like a cat over the bathtub? Have you ever seen a cat when you want to put it in the bathtub? <laughs> we all can have that response to change. And I think part of it's because we don't understand the idea of seasons. Our text today is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I think it's difficult for us because in our world, we have a bit of an artificial sense of seasons. I can keep my home, my car, and my office at precisely the temperature that I want them to be. 
And so I go from my home in the garage and get in my car and drive to my work, and they're all the same temperature. And the only time I have to experience what's really going on in the atmosphere is when I walk from my car to the church or to my office or to the store. And then most of us park as close as we can, so we have to be out in that as little as possible. We keep an artificial sense of the world around us. I can get a golden tan at any time I want. I can have it sprayed on or I can have it baked on. I can have raspberries, blackberries, and cantaloupe at any time of the year as long as I'm willing to pay enough for it. We've lost that season, that sense that our parents and grandparents had of things coming in season. You know, we have the Porter Peach Festival, and we have a Strawberry Festival. And those started because those people recognized, I only get fresh peaches during this part of the year. After that, we only get canned peaches until the fresh come out again. We don't have that sense because we can get whatever we want, flown in from Chile or wherever, as long as we're willing to pay enough. And I find that it, it makes us expect to have the best of every season all the time in our lives. So we find ourselves having small children and wanting a lot of alone time. That's not going to happen. We find ourselves wanting to finish school and take a lot of hours in college this semester and then have time to play. There are some things that just aren't available in every season, but there is a time for everything. When one of my dear friends went through breast cancer, she was going through the treatment process. Her immunities dropped so low that she had to be completely isolated and be by herself. She was a very social person. I mean, she made me look quiet because she was so outgoing and loved to be with people. And it was just killing her to not be able to be with anyone. And so she was praying to the Lord and just going, is this right? Is it really right for me to have medical treatment that's like destroying everything within me? And God pointed her to this scripture and said, yes, there is a time to kill and a time to heal. It gave her the peace that she needed. But this was the season for this to happen. And I've learned that with the different seasons, it means we have necessary endings. Now, we don't recognize that need for necessary endings because we think that good things shouldn't end. I mean, if it's a bad thing, it can end. But if it's a good thing, it should just go on forever. Really? So your sweet little two-year-old, you would like them to remain a two-year-old forever? You don't want your children to ever leave your home? People that are in your 19, or that are in your late teens and early 20s, you want to live with your parents forever? We have to have endings in order to move forward. Why is it so difficult to move forward, to let go of the past? We're giving up something, and a lot of times we have a romanticized idea of what we're giving up. We have a romantic nostalgia that things from the past always were so much better. We get at a distance and we go, oh, wasn't that a great time? I find myself going in grocery stores and I'll see moms with little blonde-haired kids like I had. It's interesting because back then the kids were blonde and I had dark hair. I, and it's weird how that changed. Um, <laughs> But I, I see these moms with all these little kids, and, and I go, oh. 
And then I think back of when I had four little kids and I got them up and dressed and fed them breakfast and took them out and got them fastened in the van. Don't touch your sister. Come on. No, we're going to go and we're going to have a good attitude. And we drove to the grocery store and I got them out of the car. It's like, okay, you stay here. Don't run across the parking lot. Come on, we're going to do this. And I took them in and no, we're not going to buy that. Remember I told you we're only getting this today. That's all. And I remember older women who are probably like my age now looking at me going, oh, they're so sweet. Time goes so fast. Enjoy every moment you have with them. And I remember at the time smiling at them very politely and going, yeah, how about if you enjoy my blessings for the afternoon? (laughs) There's great things in those times, but there's also challenges. And it's easy for us to forget those challenges. When you have a sweet new little baby and we're looking forward to a new grandchild in a week and a half, but who's counting? Um, We remember how sweet and helpless and adorable they are and how we hold them and they snuggle in. But we forget that we felt like zombies because we weren't getting any sleep and we were walking in this fog for a long period of time. And we forget those nights that you're up holding the baby and the baby's crying and you're crying because you don't know what's wrong and you don't know if they're sick or if you don't know what to do or if you're doing something wrong and are they sick so I take them to the hospital or if I take them to the hospital and they, are they going to just think I'm stupid because I don't know how to deal with the baby? We forget some of those frustrating and some of those difficult times because when we step away from the past, things all look so much better. They look rosier when we're looking at them from now. I've heard people say, I wish we could go back to the 1950s. Life was so much easier then. Things were so much sweeter. It was just a kinder, gentler time. Of course, during the 50s, we also were terrified of communists. We were building bomb shelters in our backyard to protect ourselves from nuclear attacks. All of us lined up for polio vaccinations in the schools. Do any of you remember that? Your whole family went to the school and we lined up in the late 50s and early 60s and we got our polio vaccination because polio was crippling and killing so many people, virtually unheard of today. We didn't have equality for minorities. We were just beginning to integrate schools. Children and spouses were being severely abused and everyone looked the other way. They knew about it, but nobody wanted to get involved in somebody else's business. Yes, there were some good times from the past, but they weren't as good as what we remember or what we thought they were. But we idealize the past both as a culture and in our individual lives. Woody Allen released a movie last year, and it's called Midnight in Paris. And it's a story of a man that goes to Paris, and he idealizes the 20s and the 30s in Paris when Gertrude Stein was there, Hemingway, and T.S. Eliot, a number of other authors, and they were all collaborating together in Paris and writing. And he talked about, if only I could go back in time to be at that wonderful time in the world. And I'm not going to give the story of the way, but what he finds out is... Everybody yearns for a different time. We all idealize another time and wish we were in it. But the truth is there's good and bad in every season and every time in our lives. There's advantages and disadvantages. I'd love to be in the Jane Austen era, but they didn't have uh, indoor plumbing, so there goes that. 
There is a time and there's a season for everything. Now, we're not alone in this. One of my favorite examples in scripture is the children of Israel. Remember when they were in bondage in Egypt and they were crying out to the Lord going, please rescue us, send us a deliverer. And the Lord answered and he sent Moses to bring them out of bondage. And they saw all these plagues that the Lord brought on the Egyptians so that Pharaoh would let his people go. And then finally, the death angel came. And because they had put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, their children were saved. But the firstborn in every other household in Egypt died And they saw God's mighty hand in that. And then he brought them out of Egypt. And they hit the Red Sea. And God miraculously parted the Red Sea. And they went through on dry land. And they got to the other side. And their enemies were pursuing them. And then God swept the water back over their enemies. And he destroyed them all. And they went into the wilderness. And they saw God provide for them and take care of their needs. But it wasn't very long. In Exodus 16, verse 2, we see, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Oh, I wish I were back in slavery again. I was beaten then, but I had meat. They looked back and thought it was a better time because of something that they were going through right then. It's something I think we all contend to do. But for the children of Israel and for us, God has a journey. God has an adventure for us. And it involves change. We can live fighting change all of our lives But can we really be used by God if we refuse to embrace change? Saul, remember King Saul? He was the first king of Israel, and he became disobedient to God. And so God was going to replace him with David, and he anointed David as king. But Saul refused to accept that. And so he fought it, and he fought David. And what happened in the end is Saul and his son died. They fought the change that God was doing. Lot's wife had to look back. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And God destroyed both cities because of the wickedness that that was there. But he led Lot and his family out. But he said, don't look back as I lead you out. But But Lot's wife had to have one last look. And so she turned and looked back. And she turned to a pillar of salt. She was useless. And she was destroyed because she had to look back. But we also have in scripture a great story of someone who yielded to change. Who chose to step back and say, this is not what I planned. This is not the life I thought I was going to have. But I will accept what you bring. And that's the story of Mary. So if we're going to be used by God... Our lives have to be yielded to him. We have to have a willing spirit. If we want to be used by God, we have to have a spirit like Mary. Let's take a look at Luke 1, 28. I like it in the Message Bible. 
It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You are beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Think about Mary. Think about her life and all the change she was about to go through. Life as she knew it was over at this point. She was ready to face ridicule, embarrassment. She could be called a liar, immoral, crazy. You can see the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Right. You expect us to believe that? But yet she yielded her life and she yielded her heart. She gave up her right to have things the way she planned, the way she thought they should be. If we feel that we have the right to always have things our way and to have it stay that way, we're going to live a life of discontentment. Always mourning for what was, always looking back to the past and wanting things to be the way that they were. Do we trust God in change? Do we trust him in what he's doing in our lives? Do we embrace the thing that he has for us? Do we believe that God really does work all things together for our good? Even things we didn't foresee, even things we didn't plan, even things that we don't think we like right now, do we believe that he will work all of those together for our good? We all want something new and fresh. We want that great new thing in our lives, but we have to be willing to let go of some things in order to grab hold of the new. New beginnings come from necessary endings. Having a new beginning means letting go of the old. You can't go to college if you remain in high school. You can't have your career job if you continue to go to college. And you can't be independent from your parents while you're still sleeping on their couch. 
Henry Cloud has written a book uh, called Necessary Endings, and it's kind of funny how I came across it. Uh, Dr. Cloud wrote a number of the Boundaries book. Townsend and Cloud wrote a, a lot of the Boundaries books. There's Boundaries, Boundaries for Parents, um, Boundaries for Children, that kind of thing. And so I came across this book, Necessary Endings, and I thought it was a counseling book. And what I found out is it actually is like an executive coaching book. It's for CEOs of companies to help them forecast what they need to do for their company and what changes they need to make. But I bought it, so I continued reading through it, and it was amazing the things that spoke to me in my own life in it. So I'm going to read a quote from it. It says, Endings are not only a part of life. They are a requirement for living and thriving professionally and personally. Being alive requires that we sometimes kill things in which we were once invested, uproot what we previously nurtured, and tear down what we built for an earlier time. Refraining, giving up, throwing away, tearing down, hating what we once cherished, all are necessary. Endings are the reason you're not married to your prom date, nor still working in your first job. But without the ability to do endings well, we flounder, stay stuck, and fail to reach our goals and dreams. Or worse, we remain in painful and sometimes destructive situations. Endings are crucial, but we rarely like them. Hence, the problem. Now, obviously, that it's under God's direction and God's guidance that we have endings. But there are things that need to end because there's a time and there is a season for everything. One of the things that, that I really love about scripture, and not everyone does, but that we just have glimpses. We don't know fully some things about the stories and the characters in scripture. And I like that because I have the imagination that I like to put myself in it and think, I wonder what they were thinking at this time. I wonder what they were going through. And so I've been imagining what it was like to be Mary. And I think about the curveballs that Mary got thrown in her life, the uncertainties, the things that God threw her way that she was like, whoa, how am I going to deal with this? Because, you know, Mary didn't have a how to raise the son of God handbook handed to her. She just had to do it. And I think about that. I think back almost 30 years ago when Brent and I um, brought Preston home from the hospital and I remember them putting me in the wheelchair, and they handed this helpless baby to me. And Brent and I both looked at each other and panicked. And it was like, do these people have any idea that we do not know what we're doing? <laughs> They're giving this baby to us? Should they be doing this? Is this even legal to do? But I think about Mary's uncertainties. And as I think about all the things that she went through in her life, I imagine the first words that she said echoing throughout her life, even as all these things came to try her and to stretch her. I think about when she was in the manger on that night and the shepherds appeared and they said, an angel came to us and said, this is the Messiah. And how she had to be wondering and go, yes. Yes, what does that mean? But I think she said, I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you have said, Lord. 
And then I think about when she went and she dedicated him in the temple. And they had the prophecy from Simeon. If you remember that prophecy, it says, This child is destined to cause falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's not what you want to hear at a baby dedication. And I think she had to step back and go, okay, I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And then I think about the time when Jesus was 12 and they lost him. And they were going away, and a couple days later, they were like, oh, my gosh, we don't have Jesus with us. And they turned, and they went back to Jerusalem, and they found Jesus in the temple. And Mary, being a mother, was like, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus turned to her and said, Mother, I have to be about my father's business. And I think as a mother, there had to be that, oh, really? (laughs) But Mary had to stop and go, okay, he's moving into what God has called him to do. And so I need to step back. I need to allow him to be who God has created him to be. And so I think she said, I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. I think about the wedding of Cana. And in my mind, the bride's family in Cana were Mary's friends. It's just what I've decided. And so so Mary's going, Jesus, my friends are about to run out of wine. You need to do something here. And she was panicking and going to her son. She presented this need. And you know the first thing he said before he turned the water into wine? He said, woman, my time has not yet come. Again, I can see her as a mother going, oh, really? (laughs) And then saying, okay, okay. I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And to the servants, do whatever he says. We're going to listen to Jesus and do what he says. And then I think of the time when when Jesus was teaching in a house and Mary and her other sons came to see Jesus and they sent a message in that said, um, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And I think as a mother, there had to be a... Okay, okay, this is what he is called to do. He is fulfilling what he's called to do. And I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And then I think about her standing at the cross. And there's her son, tortured and dying on the cross. So misunderstood. And standing there watching him in pain, knowing somehow this had to happen, knowing that this was, it really was what he was born for, and yet it was tearing her own heart out to watch him go through that. And then I think we see one of the sweetest things in scripture. Here's Jesus in agony, just about to die. And we see in John 19, 26, when he looks down and it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I imagine to Mary in her pain, that spoke volumes. It was much more 
than just those words. I imagine her hearing Jesus whisper to her as he does to us in many of our painful situations. Mother, I will see you in the days to come. I will be with you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I've seen your pain. I've seen everything that you've gone through. And I'm always going to make sure you're taken care of. I will make sure your needs are met here and in the days to come. You're going to be okay, Mom. Changes will come in all of our lives. We can yield to God and we can trust him. Or we can kick and fuss and fight and scream like Saul, which didn't really do him any good. Or we can be like Lot's wife and spend our lives always looking back and be paralyzed and be unable to be used by God. Or we can have a merry heart. We can have a merry spirit and say, I'm the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. I've been around long, long enough to know that some of the most difficult and some of the most painful things that I have gone through in my life, the changes that looked very, very scary, have turned out to be the best and the most beautiful things that have ever happened to me. There were times that I couldn't see the future. I could only leap in and trust that somehow things were going to be okay. And sometimes, i got to tell you, it felt like free fall off of a cliff. And yet, I landed in a good and beautiful place. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Relax into what God is doing in your life right now. He is good. He is trustworthy. And he will take care of you. And he has a great adventure for you in this life. If you will yield and you will trust him and you will follow along in what he says. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here. Many of them are dealing with changes. Some of them are very, very scary changes. Some of them are painful changes. And God, you acknowledge and you are aware of them all. Thank you for being with us in the midst of all of these things. Thank you that you truly do work all things together for our good, whether we can see how that's possible right now or not. We trust you in that. We love you. We're so grateful that you care so much about each of our lives and you love us personally, deeply, wholly, and completely. In Jesus' name, amen.